this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today as early as this month india may see the rollout of zykov d the world's first dna vaccine against covid-19 Pharmaceutical company Zydus Cadila has received emergency use authorization for the vaccine which is also the first in the country to be approved for children above the age of 12. How do DNA vaccines work and how are they different from the vaccines we have now Covishield and Covaxin? What sort of immunity will the DNA vaccines provide? Will the three dose regimen pose a problem logistically in administering Zykov D? Zero surveys across the country have shown us that in the most populated of regions 70% of the population may have covid-19 antibodies already what does this mean for children and do they need to be necessarily vaccinated at this stage to speak to us about this we have with us today dr gagandeep kang professor of microbiology at christian medical college vellore who has extensive experience in vaccine research good morning dr gagandeep and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast Thank you for having me here. Doctor, could you explain to us how the DNA platform in vaccines works and how is it different from the mRNA platform? The mRNA platform is a platform that directly carries the message into cells about how to make the spike protein. So the vaccine itself consists of mRNA which is wrapped up in a lipid nanoparticle a fatty nanoparticle which uh, integrates with the cell membrane and then delivers the mrna into the cell the dna platform is a bit different in that it also encodes the message but the piece of dna that carries the sequence for the spike protein is integrated into a plasmid which is a circular piece of dna and that has to be delivered inside the cell once the plasmid is delivered inside the cell the dna message has to go to the nucleus be converted into mrna and then come out into the cytoplasm so that the protein can be made so there is this extra step where dna has to be converted back into mrna which makes the two vaccines a little bit different even though both of them encode the message for how to make the spike protein how to make the spike protein in turn generates an immune response Well once the protein is made into inside the cell it can be displayed on the surface of the cell or it can be released outside the body recognizes the protein as being foreign and responds to it by making an immune response so that it can block the protein from doing its function which is to attach to host cells and get inside them now because it's only the spike protein that means that this is not the same as an infection even though the immune response that is produced is at least partially the same immune response that is produced in infection and because the spike is the functional protein which is responsible for getting the virus into cells 
if we have antibodies to the spike protein, then that means that uh, we can block the virus from getting inside cells. So that's how protection is induced when you have a spike-specific vaccine. But then why is the efficacy so different, doctor? mRNA vaccines claim they're 90% plus effective, but Zykov D is supposed to be around 66%. Well, actually, not all mRNA vaccines are 90% effective. We've seen a difference between the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, particularly in terms of the duration of the immune response. We've also seen a difference between the CureVac vaccine, which had just about above 50% efficacy, and that's also a vaccine that's on an mRNA platform. So not all vaccines, even if they are on the same platform, are going to perform in exactly the same way. It certainly seems to depend on the amount that you're putting in. So there is a question about in Zykov D, would increasing the amount of DNA decrease uh, the number of doses of vaccine that you give? A lot of tweaking needs to be done to ensure that there is an optimal protective immune response. The vaccine may be rolled out in India as early as this month, doctor. According to a company press release, the phase three clinical trials showed the primary efficacy of 66.6%. The data, however, is yet to be published in a peer-reviewed journal or made available in public. Is this a cause for concern? Well, this is the way all the other vaccines that have been licensed in India have gone. The data has come first in the form of a press release from the company or by the regulators having seen the data and approved the vaccine without the information necessarily being available in the public domain at any level of detail or in the form of a publication. The publications have come later. Um, So there's nothing wrong with the process as long as the review and approval process is appropriate. It's also important to remember that the data that have been released by Zydus Cadilla are interim data, which means that the trial isn't over yet. This was based on the finding of 81 cases of symptomatic SARS-CoV-2 infection with 61 no, 21 cases in the vaccine arm and 60 cases in the placebo arm. Doctor, this is also the first vaccine in India to be approved for use of in children above the age of 12. Um, does this mean this is considered safer than the vaccines on the viral vector platform? And is it important to vaccinate children in our country at this stage? So I think uh, the data that we have on children at the moment is very, very limited. So there were 1,400 children that were recruited into the trial, but to my knowledge, there were no cases of SARS-CoV-2 infection in either the vaccine recipient children or the placebo recipient children. So we don't know about the efficacy of the vaccine specifically in children. You don't expect it to be different from adults, but there's actually no data. 
this is different from the Pfizer vaccine where they had a large enough uh, number of children in the 12 to 17 year age group to actually be able to get efficacy data. Um, even if you don't have efficacy data, you can accept vaccines for children if you have sufficient safety and immunogenicity data. And while the 1,400 children will certainly have contributed safety data, I understand that the immunogenicity data is very limited at this time. So my own preference would be to wait until there is at least more immunogenicity data before this vaccine is used in children. The other thing to remember is um, that in the zero surveys that ICMR has done, there are about 60% of all our children who have already been exposed to infection and therefore are likely to be protected. There is also this issue that um, this is a vaccine that is on a completely new platform. So even from a point of view of safety, I'd be more comfortable giving this vaccine to adults, generating a larger safety database, and then thinking about introducing it in children. And the reason that I state that is if we look at the mRNA vaccines, they looked pretty safe in the clinical trials, which included 40, 50,000 uh, people. But when the mRNA vaccine started to be used first in adults, we identified a risk of anaphylaxis that was higher than with other vaccines. And as they have been used in younger and younger people, we've also identified this risk of viral myocarditis and inflammation of the heart that is uh, induced mostly by the second dose of mRNA vaccines. And it's a greater risk in younger people and especially in young males. Now, these kinds of results become available only when you do a carefully controlled rollout with monitoring. As with the mRNA vaccines, which were a new platform, we started in adults and then went into younger ages. And my preference would be for the DNA vaccines also to do the same thing, to go into older individuals first and then carefully step down into younger individuals, making sure that our safety monitoring is of a high order. Doctor, the vaccine has a three-dose regimen, unlike Covishield and Covaxin, which require only two doses for full immunity. You spoke about this a little earlier. Will this pose a logistical challenge in administering it to the public? So three-dose schedules are something that we are familiar with from routine immunization for children. We have seen a little bit of an issue with getting people in for the second dose of any vaccine, especially adults. So I think we need to be very careful when planning for a third dose because the drop-off from the first to the second dose and then from the second to the third dose is something that will require our authorities to pay a lot of attention to to make sure 
that people do receive their complete immunization schedule. Another way of thinking about it is for this vaccine, the immunization schedule is four weeks apart. So in fact, your three-dose schedule could be completed faster than the current Covishield schedule. As long as monitoring is feasible, we should be able to do it. It will require additional effort. Doctor, do we now have India-specific data on vaccine effectiveness? How have the vaccines fared against variants like Delta? Studies in Israel in particular showed a sharp decline in the Pfizer's vaccine effectiveness against Delta. And in the UK, the number of cases remains high, even though death and hospitalization numbers of, as a proportion of cases is low. What can we learn from these experiences? So unfortunately, we don't have effectiveness data that is variant specific. We can infer from the sequencing that INSACOG is doing that the bulk of infections that we've seen during the time uh, effectiveness studies have been done, that there is effectiveness against the Delta variant. However, most of the effectiveness studies that we have are from very specific populations. For example, the police, the armed forces, healthcare workers employed in specific hospitals. It's not um, the general population. And this is unfortunate because India has given so many doses of vaccine and has was the first country to have Delta to circulate at such high levels. So we could have contributed a lot of information to the world literature on how vaccines were performing against Delta. Unfortunately, we were unable to do that. Um, if we look at the data from Israel, I would not treat the Israel data as being necessarily the right guidance for India. And there are a number of reasons for that. They use the mRNA vaccine and one mRNA vaccine. They also gave it at a three-week interval. So we have not used the same vaccine platform. We have not used the same dosing interval. And we also have a population where, again, the ICMR Zero survey showed us that in June and July, when a relatively small proportion of our population had been vaccinated, that 67% of the country had antibodies. And the bulk of those antibodies would have come from infection. And because the second wave was more than the first, most likely have come from antibodies due to Delta infections. So we can't treat the rest of the world, which was Delta naive at the time that it got vaccinated, as being equivalent to India, where the at least half the population was Delta experienced by the time they got the vaccination. I still think there is an opportunity for us to learn but the only way we can learn about how well vaccines are performing in people who have been previously infected or previously uninfected is to do better studies, as well as use the data that we have better than we have done in the past. I certainly hope that that will be the case going forward.
Doctor, you've spoken about ICMR zero survey showing us that in a lot of the populated regions of the country, um, there is 70% of the population may have COVID-19 antibodies. Uh, I think the question on everyone's mind, especially after the devastating second wave, is will we see another wave of a similar nature? And are we doing enough genomic sequencing in India of variants of concern that we need to watch out for? So I don't think that we will see a third wave that resembles the second wave unless we have a variant that is capable of completely escaping the immune response. So far, all of the variants that we have seen have been protected from by vaccines at variable levels, but still protected from. This is true even for the beta variant, which is the most capable of escaping an immune response. Will no such variant arise in the future? I don't think that that is something that we can say. But until such a variant arises, I don't think we can have a third wave that resembles the second wave. Are we doing enough sequencing? We are certainly doing a whole lot better than we did last year or even in the early part of this year. My understanding is that we have not utilized the full capacity for sequencing that is available in India. For example, there's no sequencing in the private sector at all. And there is a lot of sequencing capacity at uh, hospitals and research institutions that could sequence more if they were given permission to. So I think there is room for expansion. Uh, It comes at a cost. And the question that I have is, have we looked at what the right size of sequencing is in terms of when there is a lot of virus circulation and when there is not a lot of virus circulation. Some modeling uh, projections would be very useful to inform us of this. I'm not aware that these have been done so far. Doctor, one concern uh, that everybody seems to have now that uh, most parts of the country have reopened educational institutions is that children being exposed to the virus. You spoke to us earlier about the fact that zero surveys show that children seem to have high levels of antibodies. So does this mean we can hold off on vaccinating children for the present? So if we look at the rest of the world they have started to vaccinate children. I still have questions about whether we should be vaccinating children at this time because when you use a vaccine on children, you shape their immune response for the future. And I'm not clear that we have the best vaccine that gives the longest lasting protection available to us right now. There are vaccines that are in development that might be better than the vaccines that we have today. Remember that all of the vaccines that we have today are based on an ancestral version of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that is no longer circulating in the world today. So if we want to give our children the best, longest lasting, broadest protection while using the safest possible vaccine, do we have that vaccine today? 
I don't think we do. And given the high rate that of exposure that children have had, as well as the fact that most healthy children will handle the virus really well and not develop severe disease, I'm not convinced that healthy children need to be vaccinated this minute. I would prefer that we wait till we have better vaccines than we do today or more data on the safety of different vaccine platforms before we give them to healthy children. However, children with comorbidities do develop severe disease and can die when they have a SARS-CoV-2 infection. So I think it is an imperative that we identify those children and make sure that we are ready to vaccinate them once we are convinced that we have a safe and effective vaccine. We already know that mRNA vaccines are very effective, even if they have safety concerns in young males, as I mentioned previously. But what is the risk-benefit analysis? We should look at that. The other approach that is being tried with mRNA vaccines is because the risk of viral myocarditis is highest with the second dose. There is a question about in an exposed population, could you get away with giving only one dose of the vaccine? And all of these considerations should play into our decision making about giving our children the best protection possible. Just one last question before we sign off, Doctor. Almost nine months after the vaccination program started in India, how do you think we are placed? What have we done right and what could have been better? I think we are doing brilliantly where vaccination is concerned. We've given out more than 900 million doses of vaccine, approaching a billion today. And I think that's a phenomenal achievement on the part of the Indian government. Have we done everything right? Well, while we have short memories, I think some of the things that we did could have been better done. I think we moved too quickly across different strata. We did not ensure high coverage of the most vulnerable groups before moving to the less vulnerable groups. And this has resulted in a situation where the coverage in over 60s is comparable to the coverage in the under 60s. And that's not where we should be. We should have, you know, 90, 95% coverage in the over 60s before we have the same level of coverage in the younger people. The other thing is the missteps that were made um, in the decisions on asking states to procure vaccines. Uh, that was a lot of wasted time and effort at a time when the pandemic was raging in many parts of the country. We also decided to allocate 25% of the supply to the private sector, which is something that not many other countries have chosen to do. 
I think for a supply that is intended for the public program, you should keep all of those products for the public program. And perhaps what we should have done is permitted the import of vaccines uh, like the mRNA vaccines that have a different cold chain requirement for the private market instead of diverting what could have been used for the public program to the private market. So there have been a number of uh, steps that could have been different. I also think that in terms of data, while the COVID app was likely necessary, starting it off only in English, having no alternatives for registration, disadvantaged people who really needed the vaccine. Many of those errors have been addressed now, but the big one of data, data linkages that allow us to study vaccine effectiveness against severe disease, against hospitalizations, is still one that has not been fixed. I hope that we will be able to really use the information from the program going forward in a way that we haven't done in the last nine months. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Dr. Khan. Thank you for having me on Zubir. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.